0: Welcome to the Battleground, Wisconsin. My name is Matt Ruskin and I'm the Deputy Director at Citizen Action, and welcome to another week from Wisconsin. We have our full panel, although Jorna Taylor is not with us in our lovely, lavish recording studio. Jorna's on the road. Uh, actually, Jorna, I believe, is in Door County. Jorna, thanks for joining us uh, via phone.
1: Happy to be here, as always.
0: Uh, Jorna is a nonprofit consultant here in Wisconsin. And then Robert Craig... Our executive director here at Citizen Action also joins us, Robert. Uh, good day, everyone. <laughs> good day. So it is Thursday morning when we record this show, and uh, we are going to talk uh, immediately about uh, the impending Senate health care bill that is coming out today. So by the time you listen to this, uh, most of the details will be out. We are going to have Robert give us a quick rundown on some of what we believe are the key changes between the Senate and the uh, House plan. We'll also talk a little bit about Ron Johnson uh, going national in his uh, statements around uh, around the health care bill. We'll also have Eric Genrich, Representative Eric Genrich, join us to talk about a Badger Care for All public option bill that he released this week with Citizen Action. Suchin Cheddar will join us from the Fair Elections Project at talk about the news around the court case around the gerrymandering case here in wisconsin and we'll do a state wrap-up including jorna giving us an update on the uw free speech issue that we spoke of uh, probably about three or four weeks ago on the podcast but let's get started right away robert um So the Senate bill is coming out this week. We have talked at length on this podcast about the great secrecy surrounding this legislation. It led this week, uh, Wednesday, for Ron Johnson news to go public, both CNN, it was the lead story on NPR this morning about his opposition to the secrecy and the fact that he's not going to have enough time and can't vote for this on their timetable. Robert, first tell us about... What are the key differences as we, as of Thursday morning that we believe between the bills uh, and, you know, the, then we'll get into the details about this crazy plan and timeline that the Republicans are pursuing.
2: Yeah, and substantial elements are leaking. Uh, so we're probably right. Uh, uh, our listeners on Sunday on the radio will know if we made some mistakes. But the leaks are coming uh, from the lobbyists who of course are getting this before the American people get this so that's important to think about as far as our alleged democratic system and government by the people. So I think the biggest top line is is that there was all this talk and all this punditry about how the Senate could never do something like the House did and this would be a very different bill and the House bill was dead on arrival. Well a lot of the main elements of the House bill are here, there are just a few changes quite frankly and in some cases it gets worse not better. Uh, so I'll I'll tick through some of this. Uh, the only way it really gets better, uh, I mean, the big way, I think there's one other way, but the biggest way it gets better is, is that the Medicaid expansion uh, phase-out is longer. So they're not going to have the Medicaid expansion. They're not saying that we actually need to guarantee health care to low-income working people who can't afford health insurance. They're just saying that, it's more politically palatable if you if you take a little longer. So that's the great, uh, you know, great victory that alleged mo- moderate Senate Republicans got after all of their carping about how the, the House bill was too severe.
0: Although Robert, let me interrupt a little yeah. bit here. We, we'll see if the if this is if the, this is what gets moderates or if this thing passes. But nonetheless, right.
2: Uh, well, they can get much, and, yeah. then, and and it's not clear if they on were Medicaid as a whole. Let's say on Medicaid, it's worse. The cuts to Medicaid are more savage. They move from what was inadequate in the House, that is, raising the per capita cap on Medicaid, which is a mechanism to take billions and ultimately trillions of dollars out of Medicaid. They'd adjusted it uh, in the House by the rate of medical inflation plus 1%. This goes so that and medical inflation is faster than general inflation. This goes to the rate of general inflation, so it's going to be lead to even more savage cuts into badger care in Wisconsin, and to long-term care and support services for seniors and people with disabilities. So it's actually worse there. On the tax cut, the tax credits, the affordability credits, it is not as horrendous in terms of having a flat amount, uh, regardless of income, that just is increased uh, uh, somewhat by age. So, but they don't, they put a lot less money in than Obamacare, and they actually reduce the number of people that are eligible. It goes from up to 40% of poverty to 350% of poverty. So there are going to be some moderate-income people who get nothing. And we will probably be revealing what that impact is in Wisconsin by specific region by early next week. We're already working on that.
0: And, and, Robert, would this be a way to try to address the problem in the House bill where you had, uh, for example, uh, 65-year-old, 62-year-old low-income seniors basically having to pay tens of thousands Paying more? Paying
2: 9,000, yeah. 10,000. So it was like 11,000. try 11, to even out
0: that maybe so we don't have that kind of spike but overall but there's hits all some of those over. folks
2: are going to say three thousand yeah. dollar spikes okay oh, lovely uh so uh, in addition it will not do the allowing states to opt out of pre-existing condition discrimination, so that's better. But it's worse in that it has much broader authority for innovation waivers that would allow states to do a lot more to get rid of the essential benefits. That is what health care is supposed to cover, which is, of course, not only going to do things like mental health, substance use, drug treatment, a lot of things that uh, that, that would make health insurance cheaper because it covers less. But it also allows pre-existing condition discrimination as well through the back door because they can just make sure that things that people actually need who are cancer patients that are very expensive aren't covered or are capped. And they could get waivers for that. Each state could apply for waivers. So all in all, and they're, 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 they're both equally horrible on uh, defunding Planned Parenthood. So overall, it's hard to see this as an improvement at all. In some ways, it's, a, it's slightly better. It's lipstick on a pig. And in some ways, it's actually worse.
1: So Robert, my question here to you is that you said the input at, from the uh, lobbyists who have seen this bill obviously has been probably a bit overwhelming and very transparent, I would assume, to the folks that are lobbying for the health insurance industry. You know, I recall back when they were trying to pass Obamacare, there were town halls all the time on just how horrible this health care bill was and how it was going to destroy the fabric of the american people and you know on and on and i attended then congressman kagan's town hall and it was um very eye-opening you know my question i guess is so these senate republicans obviously the house republicans were were incredibly transparent how how are our wisconsin republicans I'm sorry, are Wisconsin senators uh, reacting to this health care
2: bill? That is a great question. I mean, Senator Baldwin, Tammy Baldwin's been against this all along and wants to go way beyond the Affordable Care Act. Uh, Senator Johnson has been an odd case. Uh, he has been squawking like he has problems with the whole process for some time and saying we should take a long time, like a year, in doing it a bipartisan way. But people in D.C. were, uh, given his reputation, uh Pretty unwilling to put him on any kind of swing vote list because they just assume that he's going to vote no matter what and he's just kind of a crank. Um, And you know, there are some rumors that Mitch McConnell had cut him off during the election to some degree because McConnell doesn't like to deal with him and has no respect for him. Uh, But he's actually come out yesterday um, in a couple places CNN and The Hill newspaper saying that he's. He's saying he's unwilling to vote for it in a week, and he needs constituent uh, input to have any chance of being able to get to yes on this. And uh, we heard the same sort of stuff from his staff, including when our members from our Northeast Wisconsin co-op went and met with his uh, state chief of staff uh, about a week and a half ago. And so I don't know. I tend to think that McConnell can crack Johnson back in the line, but he's not going running for re-election, he's announced, so there's no leverage there. He probably feels ostracized. He was supposedly on the group of 13, as we talked about last week, but didn't know anything about the bill and still doesn't, which is a little embarrassing, though other members of the group have said the same thing. So it's, it's looking like that was all fake, that there was even a group of 13 or 12 uh, that were writing it. I think it's really important, Jorna, uh, for people to keep calling Senator Johnson and to basically tell him uh, that the Medicaid cuts are going to be disastrous for Wisconsin and especially for 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 rural folks across the state of Wisconsin uh, who rely on BadgerCare or on the on the state on the marketplace. They rely on the marketplace because they don't have as many employers to write health insurance outside of the cities in Wisconsin, and uh, we should put the pressure on because McConnell can only lose two votes. And it, Kind of if you believe anything Ron Johnson is saying in the national media, Ron Johnson's in play and is against right now.
0: I just wanted to underscore Robert's comments about contacting uh Senator Ron Johnson. Uh his number is two zero two 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 four five three two three it's very important it's part of what is driving senator Johnson to say this um, it is also worth pointing out that uh, uh, governor Walker had a nasty uh, uh, release that went out going after Johnson so clearly the pressure uh, is working on Johnson and so please make those calls into Senator Johnson
2: and if you're very ambitious if you go to the Citizen National Wisconsin website there's a way to invite Ron Johnson to come have a town hall with you in your town, since he's had no public interactions that weren't <laughs> closed meetings. And so you should encourage, since he says he wants to talk to his constituents more for working to vote, we should all be offering him that opportunity. And so far, when members do that, uh, you get a response from Ron Johnson's office. So you'll get a response as to why the senator is unavailable when you do that in some kind of uh, cockamamie excuse.
1: Well, you know, I see quotes here that he says that he needs the information to vote on a very imperfect bill that doesn't come close to doing the things that he wants to see done. You know, I, I know the pessimist in me here, and you all will be surprised that I'm being pessimistic about the good senator's intentions. But I fear that his holdouts are that the bill doesn't go far enough to hurt working families and people who need health care the most. But, you know. Call me crazy. Uh, I think he'll get in line unless we really amp up the pressure on him.
2: Well, you know, they say that the spirit moves in mysterious ways. If Sedder Johnson actually helps block this moral travesty, then whatever his motives, that would be good. But you're right, Jorna. I'm not suggesting that he's a champion for health care rights.
0: So again, call Senator Johnson, 202-224-5323. We got to get out of here. We'll be right back uh, on the back end. We're going to have Representative Eric Genrich to talk about a very exciting bill here in Wisconsin to expand Badger Care to everyone. We'll be right back. So welcome back to the Battleground, Wisconsin. Again, we're Citizen Action of Wisconsin, and you can find us at citizenactionwi.org. So we're going to talk a little more healthcare care. Uh, this week, uh, Citizen Action, uh, along with our organizing cooperative members from the Northeastern Wisconsin Co-op, joined Representative Eric Genrich and Senator Dave Hansen to announce a bill that's going to be coming out that would allow uh, badger care to essentially become a public option, which would allow anyone to, uh, who needs to access health care to be able to get access to badger care. And so we're very fortunate to have Representative Eric Genrich from the Green Bay area with us on the podcast to talk more about the legislation. Uh, Representative, thanks for joining us. Thanks so much for having me. So let, a, let our listeners know a little bit about the bill uh, that you introduced this week.
3: Yeah, first of all, I should give a lot of credit to to your organization and uh, the Northeast Wisconsin Organizing Co-op. You know, this is an idea that was really born out of conversations that I've had with Robert and Kevin and Rebecca back in in Green Bay and and, uh, all of her members. Um, So this is something that uh, has been kind of percolating in a number of other states. Governor Dayton had suggested the idea the Nevada legislature um, passed this concept, unfortunately, vetoed by the governor. But here in Wisconsin, what we're attempting to do is uh, is create a BadgerCare for All option for folks on the exchanges. Um, so what we would do is enable folks, uh, both in the individual market and in the small business uh, market, to, to buy into BadgerCare. Um, and according to some preliminary numbers that that folks have crunched based on what we've seen from the Legislative Fiscal Bureau, it really would be a a pretty tremendous savings for when you compare it to uh, what's on offer, uh, say for a typical 40-year-old in northeast Wisconsin, roughly 31% um, lower, uh, the badger care option would be in comparison to that lowest cost silver option. Um, So that's roughly $2,200 in savings on an annual basis.
1: Well, thank you so much for joining us as that... um average 40-year-old who does indeed buy her insurance on the exchange right now, I could think of a lot of things to do with my $2,200 savings for a health care plan that, frankly, doesn't has a high deductible and, you know, still isn't um, quite what I want. So I think that this is a phenomenal idea and that we could cover so many more people through this sort of option.
3: Well thanks and I', I I'm, you know I, I don't think you're alone. I was actually tweeting yesterday about the unfortunate news of um, Anthem Blue Cross Blue Shield dropping off the uh, the exchanges here in Wisconsin and uh, one of my friends and constituents you know tweeted back and was like oh man now I gotta you know and I, I got to look around again um, the second year that that I think they've they've had to look for a new insurer on the exchange um, so you know we, we are seeing as a result of a lot of the chaos that's been created by President Trump and the Republican Congress, um, we are seeing, you know, these insurance markets destabilize um, to a great extent in in a number of other states. And it seems to be going that direction in Wisconsin. So what we're trying to do is, is offer that, you know, that stable option for families and and businesses in Wisconsin um, so that they will have, you know, this high quality, uh, affordable public option.
2: So, uh, uh, Eric, I want to commend you for drafting this bill. Um, and this is actually doing something constructive about healthcare costs, right? Very different than what's going on in Washington, D.C. We don't have to be hostage to what they do. Uh, we could move forward on our own. BadgerCare is really popular, and people, if we gave access to everyone, uh, we would lower their costs. It would be a, a $2,200 a year less in premiums with lower deductibles and co-pays for a typical 40-year-old in northeast Wisconsin and uh furthermore it wouldn't cost the state additional money we already run the whole badger care program it's already set up it's just not opened up to the public and so this makes a whole lot of sense uh it seems to me and we don't have to de- de- depend be dependent on anthem blue cross which, quite frankly, well, first of all, the reason the market's unstable, as you know, is because is in part because the Trump administration is trying to sabotage the market, and they're they're not committing to uh, pre to, to money that the insurance company is supposed to get when they have an inordinate number of sicker patients, and so that's part of the cause. But the other thing is, big companies like Anthem right. Blue Cross just looking for profit, right? And so they're going to pull out of the market and dump people. But if it becomes profitable, they'll jump in again. I mean, at the national level, this would never happen with. This Congress, I'd say that Anthem should be told if you're going to pull out, you can't get back in, and companies that are willing to stick with this should get the profits while moving forward, because fewer and fewer people are going to have employer-based health insurance moving forward.
3: Yeah, I mean, you know, throughout this discussion, going back to you know leading up to the November elections, I've said you know pretty consistently that you know a fair amount of the, the critiques that have been offered about the Affordable Care Act are sort of on base. You know, it, it is not as affordable as it should be. Uh, the plans on offer are not as high of quality as they should be. Um, but, you know, the solutions that are on offer from the Republican Congress or Republicans here in Wisconsin uh, don't match up with that critique. You know, what, what, they've, um, uh, what they're have what they attempting to do is not in any way going to improve the, the quality of health insurance or, or reduce the cost. Uh, folks in Wisconsin or across the country. So what we're trying to do is engage in that, acknowledge that we can do a lot better. Um, and this is, this is one of the solutions that I'm hoping will become you know, part of that discussion and that narrative.
2: And so any, any nibbles uh, from Republicans yet? I see Scott Walker is trying to put pressure on Ron Johnson to vote for this horrendous Senate bill. But you would think that uh, some of them would jump at the idea of lowering health care costs and premiums for their constituents.
3: Yeah, so Senator LaTanya Johnson and Senator Hansen and myself sent out the co-sponsorship memo um, yesterday afternoon, and that's the process of kind of circulating the idea amongst colleagues to see, you know, how much support we might have in the legislature. So I'm not sure exactly, you know, where folks are going to be at on this. I'm expecting, a, you know, a good deal of Democratic support, of course, but, you know, plan to engage in, in some serious conversations with, with folks, that, you know, all across the spectrum to see if we can't uh, build some momentum for this.
0: Look, we we talk here a lot about how there needs to be a vision, a long-term agenda that progressives and democrats can lay out that people could actually grab onto and and would be easy for them to understand. And I think this legislation is a sort of a cornerstone of that of what that platform needs to look like and with the 2018 election, this is exactly the kind of thing that's very clear. Uh, and also, very popular uh, and is a real solution, so you know really want to commend you for for jumping out on this. But I also want to challenge our listeners uh, who think this is a great idea. Um, we here want to help uh, representative Genrich g- get word out about this legislation if you're interested in your area if you live in one of our and in, uh, are involved in one of our cooperatives we want to encourage our co-ops in other parts of the state to get in touch with us we'll help you uh, work together to get get, get a, a press event together so we can get word out but also start to educate the public uh, about this uh, bill and we want to uh, help you be a part of that uh, we also have a new organizing cooperative that's working on Healthcare for All, where anyone from around the state who's interested in getting involved and in helping be a part of move things like this exciting legislation uh, to get involved and be a part of uh, providing solutions. So um, we're really, really excited about this and uh, really want our listeners to contact their legislators and encourage them to, to co-sponsor this.
3: Yeah, I just want to say thanks so much for, for, for all that support. Um, you know that's what's really going to bring this idea across the line. Um, Matt Iglesias from Vox actually tweeted on the on the idea yesterday, saying, "You know, good idea, but you know, Governor Walker's there, so it's not going to happen." And uh, you know, I think that's an important point to make, right? It, but in the short term, prospects might be might be slight. But you know, what we are trying to do and what you are trying to do through these organizing coops is is really change the the political paradigm here in Wisconsin. Um, Governor Walker doesn't have to be here forever. Um, And, you know, this is that we create that change is with, you know, real organizing on the ground in concert with progressive
2: policy ideas
3: being produced here in the Capitol.
2: Yeah. And it's great to have partners like you, uh, Representative, because there really needs to be an inside out kind of strategy and there need to be folks like you that will take on big, bold ideas and author them and do all the hard policy work and advocacy work. I, I mean, all of us Quite frankly, when you do this kind of thing, we put real bold policy out. I mean, Governor Walker has the opportunity to do the right thing, so it doesn't have to be political. But if he doesn't, and it's clear, and it's something that would really help people, and they understand that, then it comes up in his re-election. That's how the Democrat system is supposed to work.
0: And no, I right. this, this legislation, if I'm running for governor, this is something I ought to take a look at and, and lay out a very clear marker about the kind of agenda, the kind of Wisconsin we would lay out. So uh, kudos to you for, for doing that. And uh, we want to thank you for, for joining us uh, on the podcast and, and for being a member of the uh, Organizing Cooperative.
3: Oh, yeah. Proud to be one. Thanks so much for having me.
0: All right. Great. Thank you. So we got to get out of here. We'll be right back. Well, welcome back. This is the Battleground Wisconsin and we are Citizen Action. At, and you can find us at citizenactionwi.org. So we are going to talk about the big news that came out this week with regard to the court case around the rigged maps here in Wisconsin and uh, the gerrymandering. And so we have a special guest. Uh, he has joined us before to give us updates on this lawsuit, and that is Sachin Chetta. Sachin is the director of the Fair Elections Project. Sachin, thanks for joining us.
3: Thanks for having me. Really looking forward to it.
0: So there's been a lot of hubbub and news this week. Um, give us the top lines. What, what exactly is the most important uh, information that came out this week from the court? Uh,
3: So, as listeners might remember, uh, a federal trial court uh, ruled that the maps in Wisconsin, the legislative district maps, were in fact rigged by Wisconsin's Republican majority in 2011, which means that the, the election results of how people voted aren't reflected in the seat allocation of how many seats each party gets. Uh, after each election, and that's been true for the last three elections, 2012, 2014, 2016. And so we got a ruling that that was unconstitutional because it deprived uh, Wisconsin citizens of their rights, and we expected that case to be taken up by the Supreme Court. They've now formally said that they will hear the case uh, in um, October of this year, and we got notice that that uh, Uh, Oral argument will take place at the Supreme Court at the very first week of the term, uh, the week of October 2nd. Uh, And so we'll spend the summer uh, briefing back and forth between the parties, looking forward to the oral argument uh, and hopefully to a decision from the Supreme Court that partisan gerrymandering, or at least extreme partisan gerrymandering, extreme map rigging for partisan purposes, uh, will be ruled unconstitutional finally. uh, And that will prevent or at least reduce the amount of uh, gerrymandering that happens not only in Wisconsin for the next (laughs) few years, but across the country in the next wave of redistricting that will happen uh, after the 2020 census.
1: Well, Sachin, thank you so much for joining us. This is obviously a groundbreaking case, and it's going to, one way or the other, have incredibly important uh, implications for states all across the country. So it was my understanding that the Republicans were supposed to be redrawing the map under, before the Supreme Court decided to take up the case. What happens now with that?
3: Well, so there was an order uh, from the trial court, to redraw the maps by November of this year because they were cognizant of needing to get those maps in place in time for the 2018 election. The Supreme Court followed the precedent on those types of orders and actually has decided to hold off on that order. But uh, the good news is that they scheduled the oral argument for early October, actually well before the original uh, deadline for when the maps would need to be in place. So if we have the oral argument in early October and we can get a decision from the Supreme Court by November or December, there's still plenty of time for the, a new map to be implemented by the district court uh, in time to for people to get organized uh, and get active for the 2018 election and hopefully really change uh, the way that seats are allocated uh, and uh, hopefully have a much more reflective uh, legislature of the actual vote that happens in 2018.
2: What is your projection, Sachin, on whether we have to deal with unconstitutional maps in 2018 or not?
3: Look, obviously, we're we're, we're prosecuting the case, we're pushing the case forward, because we think there should be new maps. We thought there should be new maps for 2016. But these federal uh, processes often take quite a bit of time. We filed the case a year and a half before the 2016 election, and it took a year just to get to trial, and then it took another six months just to get a decision. So, you know, that's unfortunate. But we do have some hope that the case will be resolved in time for the 2018 election. Obviously, The case would need to be resolved in our favor, and it's likely to be a close decision, a 5-4 decision or a 6-3 decision. Uh, We we think that we have the record we need uh, to be successful. And so some folks have tried to argue, well, you know, there was a stay uh, of the order, so that bodes not very well. And actually that's a really – that's like kind of, you know, terrible armchair analysis. In a recent racial gerrymandering case in North Carolina called the Covington case, the court uh, issued a stay of an interim order from a trial panel, and then they ended up voting 9-0 uh, to uphold uh, the verdict. Uh, and so, you know, kind of the opposite of the direction of their view on the state, Because the, the law underneath those different issues is very different, right? Whether or not there should be a stay, is completely separate from whether or not you know the map should be found unconstitutional for being excessively rigged for partisan reasons. So we still are very hopeful that our trial record, the facts in Wisconsin, the law we've put forward, the evidence we've put forward, and everything that has been discussed around this case will lead the Supreme Court to the correct conclusion, which is that when legislatures, when politicians rig the maps, stay state in power despite election results, that that's fundamentally... Uh, uh, unconst- fundamentally undemocratic uh, and should clearly be unconstitutional, uh, and it's time to actually do something about it. So we're still very hopeful we're going to be successful at the Supreme Court.
1: Such Sachin, there's a lot of talk and excitement, and this is somehow redistricting became a sexy issue. Who knew that that was going to be a thing? Um, but a lot of yeah, people are really excited about this.
3: What can they do? It, it, it's really unbelievable, right? Like, and you know, I'm, I'm assuming it's not a sexy issue because of me. Uh, but uh, I'm actually in Eau Claire. I'm in Eau Claire as we speak, as we're recording this. I was in uh, Wausau last night. I'm in Eau Claire speaking tonight audiences of uh, dozens up to 100, 150 people at these uh, town halls we're having all over the state. You know, when I started, uh, when we just had a little breakfast club uh, in Milwaukee with five people around a table meeting, trying to figure out what we were going to do, we we didn't have an organization, we didn't have any funding. Um, You couldn't have told me that we'd get 100 people to show up at a town hall to talk about gerrymandering. We wouldn't have gotten five people to show up at a town hall to talk about gerrymandering. But because of the case, because of the work being done to make the process independent through legislation, uh, because of all the public attention, and because people on both sides of the aisle, Republicans, Democrats, independents, they all care that the process is fair. uh, It suddenly turned into something that people do care about. And so what people can do um, when there's a lawsuit going on is, you know, it's hard to kind of participate in a lawsuit where you're not a party to the lawsuit. But we really encourage you to um, and say, you know, let's redraw these maps now in a fair way. Let's pass a bill to make the process independent. Let's stop wasting taxpayer money on uh, on uh, uh, high-priced lawyers to defend these rigged maps. Uh, that's something you can call your legislator and talk about. It's something you can write a letter to the editor or an op-ed and talk about encourage you to organize uh, a house party or a town hall in your community. You can go to fairelectionsproject.org or to Citizen Action if you have a Citizen Action cooperative in your community. Uh, and, and, and we've all worked together. The Citizen Action folks uh, have done a tremendous job uh, in really taking leadership uh, in turning crowds out and getting people activated around the issue of rig maps. And uh, I'm really proud to have been at the the co-ops town hall last night and and the co-ops town hall tonight with your organizers in in Wausau and Eau Claire, Uh, and it's really just been a phenomenal partnership to get this issue out into the public eye.
0: Yeah, no, we we are amazed at uh, how this issue has caught fire. It is li- literally now that one of the top issues within our co-op. All of our co-op or, or, or are working on it. In fact, next week we'll have uh, on uh, two co-op leaders, one from northeastern Wisconsin and one from central Wisconsin, who are working on this issue to talk more about um, why they're working on it and how others can get involved. So I want to echo uh, what Sachin's been saying and encourage people who want to get involved, join our organization organizing cooperative this is one of our core issue committees and we have a tremendous amount of activity around it and new members joining uh, all the time to work on this
2: issue. And just for our radio listeners, uh, organizing cooperatives are groups of Democrat, Democratic members who choose their own issues and they're members of Citizen Action National Wisconsin and you can find out more on our website citizenactionwi.org and there is a very vibrant uh, Citizen action organizing co-op in the Milwaukee area if you're interested.
0: So, well, Sachin.
3: clarify. Yep. When you say Democratic, you don't mean big D Democratic. You mean small D. Member-driven. Yeah. You don't have to be a member of any political party
2: to be a part of it. Not at all. Thanks for clarifying that, Sachin.
0: <laughs> Thank you, Sachin. Absolutely. Well, Sachin, uh, any other final thoughts for our uh, uh, listeners before, uh, before we part ways?
3: you know, look, we do need your help. We need uh, support uh, for the Fair Elections Project uh, at our website. We encourage you to follow the issue online and in the media. Uh, Our co-chairs are a former Senate uh, majority leader uh, who was a Republican, another one who was a Democrat, and they had a uh, an editorial on the front page of the editorial section of the Washington Post two days ago. Uh, so there's a lot of national attention being paid to this, and we encourage you to, to get engaged by, uh, by signing up online, and we look forward to uh, hearing from you uh, and happy to answer questions. And, and if you want to schedule a town hall or a house party, uh, let us know, and we will get somebody there who can talk about the issue.
0: Thank you, Sachin. And we will have a link to uh, the Fair Elections Project on our website and their uh, organization. Thank you so much, Sachin, for joining us.
3: Thanks, Matt. Thanks, Robert. Thanks, Jonah.
0: Welcome back to the Battleground Wisconsin. We are Citizen Action of Wisconsin, and you can find us at CitizenActionWI.org. We're also on Facebook and very active. So... We are down to our last section of the show. We're going to do a wrap-up of a a number of different things that are going on here in Wisconsin. And, Jordan, I'm going to look for you to lead us off. Uh, We have talked in the past about the free speech uh, legislation that Republicans are pushing. It is absolutely not about free speech. It's about suppressing free speech at the UW campus, and there was news regarding that bill this week. Give our listeners an update.
1: Yeah, so as we've talked about on the podcast, on the show, sorry, um, before, the Republican legislature has been doing everything in its power to undermine the University of Wisconsin system from defunding, from uh, creating new institutions that, you know, like the Tommy G. Thompson Center, which will provide an opportunity for more conservatives. Uh, policy agenda pushing at the UW um, to this latest bill that just passed the assembly that would discipline students and up to uh, expelling them from the university for protesting speakers on campus. Uh, Again, as we've talked about before, the rules around this, uh, quote, protest are very vague and they're very troubling that what could be deemed disruptive to a speaker. You know, last I checked, and when I was a student activist on campus during the Southworth years, um, it was all about the sifting and winnowing and the opportunity for students to learn from each other and, frankly, the discourse that comes with protesting controversial speakers on either side. I've never actually known the university, and I ran the United Council of UW Students um, and worked for them for two years. I've never actually known the university to not have a speaker because of um, fears that somebody would protest. That's the whole point. And so to now go back and the assembly saying that, yep, for sure, we're going to ban free speech on a very party-line vote with the exception of Representative Bob Gannon from West Bend, who voted with the Democrats against the proposal, um, this this looks like it's on a fast track. You know, I haven't seen anything from the Senate as to what they're going to do, but Governor Walker has certainly said that he supports this sort of anti-exchange uh, of ideas, this anti-freedom bill, which should come as no surprise to anyone. Um, but it's really, really troubling that we're going to spend— Taxpayer dollars on tribunals of holding students accountable for um, expressing their viewpoints on public university campuses.
0: Yeah, this thing's embarrassing. That's, I'll be blunt it, it's it's gone national now. There have been stories nationally about this, um, and you know, not very favorable, right? And Jorna, I like. The way you put this in the context of this broader attack on on the UW, right? And it, it helps really contextually un, under understand where the hell this thing would come from, right? This is this is uh, it's an anathema to the whole concept of what a UW or a, a, you know a free uh, a, a, that uh, college experience ought to be. Uh, so, is this? Can you refresh my memory? Is this is this this is uh, uh, uniquely coming out of Wisconsin? I mean, that's where you see it. No, there's there's a, this is something nationally, right? This that's moving across that we're we're uh, tapping into.
1: Yeah, it's based on a model bill from the Goldwater Institute. I can you know only lead our listeners to believe this is a bastion of liberal thought. I'm sorry, it's not at all. It's very conservative, and it it really. It would require the Board of Regents to report on disciplinary matters. It would require all of this time and energy on campuses to discipline students for these, you know, supposed infractions. Um, I think that I like what Representative Lisa Suback from Madison said the most. It's a campus gag rule. It really stifles free speech and learning opportunities and discourages students from getting involved outside of their classes every day. And as a stu- former student activist and someone who learned just as much outside of the classroom in the university setting as I did from my professors, I would, ad- I would actually say even more, um, this is really troubling to me uh, that our public institutions would be gagged like this.
2: Let's be clear. This is the authoritarian kind of impulse of, of the American right. Uh, they, they're they not concerned about free speech in, in any sense, whatever. They want to control other people's speech. This is about literally controlling opposition, and they see uh, uh, progressive college students as a threat that needs to be managed, right? Just as they want to over-police uh, low-income areas and, and people of color communities. It's the same kind of impulse. I mean, you have uh, Rep. David Murphy from Greenville saying that um, disruption is not speech, disruption isn't protest, disruption is theft. So money is speech, right? The money of, of billionaires that support the far right in this country is, is protected speech. But protest is not speech literally is what they're saying uh, because he's saying disruption is separate from protest you know the tea party the Boston tea party was pretty darn disruptive don't you think and the other part of this is is that there's a mandatory punishment which apparently has gotten uh, uh, some concern.